The following Dharma talk was given for the Insight Meditation Community of Charlottesville, Virginia. Please visit our website at imeditation.org. So, you know, in the context of our kind of national scene, where especially as we were moving in position for the midterm elections, truth-telling is kind of lost in the process. And we have a kind of a situation where there's a lot of, you know, usually it happens in political, uh, uh, before political elections and campaigning, but this time, you know, it's been happening in huge amounts, truth-twisting. It's, I think, left many of us and leaves many people really exhausted. And one thing, one response is that we can try to develop a thick skin, you know, or try to, we des- try to desensitize ourselves or else we can grieve, or be angry and frustrated. And you know, it doesn't end with an election. I think we all know this, so obvious, it hardly needs saying. But these thoughts come to me because in this context, it can almost seem naive to talk about truth-telling, like it's so hopeless. Truth-telling, you know, it's just not happening not happening on the national scene. By and large, there's, some people do, but by and large, it, the loudest, it's not happening there. But truth-telling, for us in particular, for in general, but for us, because we are sitting here as practitioners right now, it's very important. It's not hopeless. It's not naive. It's something I think that we truly need to bear in mind at the forefront and put it at the forefront of our practice. You know, um, truth-telling is at the heart of all the world's great religions, spiritual traditions, philosophies. It's right up there. It's part of all of them. And it's easy to forget that. And certainly in our tradition, truth-telling is part of morality. It's one of the precepts, and I'm saying this, a lot of you know this very well, but a few of you maybe are newer, and pointing out that our practice, our insight practice, is really broadly divided into three broad parts. One of them is morality, and another part is uh, understanding, the wisdom part, and the last part, and, not la- and I'm not mentioning in order of importance, they all three work together, is the concentration meditation piece. All of them work together. And we cannot practice one or two and omit the other. Meaning that truth-telling in the context what I'm talking about right now is critical. You know, you can't be, I don't know, lying to your partner and expect to have an equanimous meditation, that sort of thing. You know, it just doesn't work. All of these pieces need to fit, need to fit together. So in our tradition, there are five basic moral precepts, and many of you have taken these pre- precepts. Refraining from killing and lying and sexual misconduct and stealing, refraining from that, and refraining from in taking substances that uh, obscure mindfulness, all five together. And we each have to decide in our own lives, this is so, such a wonderful practice, because our, our, our 
focus is to try to refrain. It's not this draconic, I will refrain, and if you don't, you're going to be um, punished. No. The fact is, is the emphasis on, I'm going to try to do that, recognizing that we're all human beings. We're going to make mistakes sometimes. We'll get caught up. But we keep going back and back and consciously trying. So it's a, very, it's a gentle, but very, on one hand, I'll say clear guidelines. And I'll come back to that question about clear, because it's in a moment. But let me say a little bit more, just a few moments, a little bit more about our practice. And that is, the focus is not on punishment if you transgress. It is about training ourselves. And I really like the way Ajahn Amaro, he's uh, the abbot at uh, Amaravati in England, talks about it. He talks about it as uh, traffic lights. He said, just as traffic lights allow traffic to flow smoothly, so observing the precepts, moral, moral behavior enables our lives to flow smoothly. It's sanity. It's just plain common sense. You, you, just you practice moral behavior if you want your life to flow smoothly. And I'll say I think there's another reason. If you care. If you care for your life and care for that of others, you practice moral behavior. Because this is a way of respecting yourself and respecting others. So the Buddha talked about morality. And he talked about particularly refraining from lying or putting it into the positive. Refraining from lying is a, kind of as a negative slant. In the positive, it is truth-telling. And he spoke about it in different ways in his talks. One of them is uh, a, a talk to his son, Rahula. And it's apparently, I think, when Rahula was a boy because he used a really concrete image. He took a water vessel, which apparently I think was probably a gourd, that had a little water in it, and he tipped it and turned out the, uh, the water, emptied it water, and then he turned it upside down. And he likened this empty, upside-down water vessel to a monk, because Rahula at this time was training in this, as a monastic, to a monk who is not ashamed to tell a lie. A monk who isn't ashamed to tell a lie is like his empty water vessel. He's turned upside down. He's hollow. He's empty. You don't want to be like that, son, do you? You know, this, this was the, the point of it. And then he went on in other places and he said, you know, truth-telling promotes wholesome behaviors. And he went on and spoke about it also as truth-telling is simply a part of right speech. It needs to be done gently at the right time with loving kindness. This is the way we speak truth for the good of all. So this is truth-telling. And, uh, and many of us have studied it. In fact, we have had courses here, a couple of multi-week courses over the years in which we have practiced with them. So, having said all of that, I'm going to say I'm not going to talk about that tonight. So I'm gonna, this is kind of like the introduction. Um, tonight, what I would really like to do is to um, take a dive deep into what truth-telling, into truth-telling, um, and I'm going to invite you to come along and participate in a few contemplations. Uh, so, uh, before, try, rather than trying to explain it, let's just do it. I'm going to 
invite you, please, if you would, for a moment, close your eyes. And inquire, contemplate for yourself, what is the, your deepest truth? What is the deepest truth that you hold? What do you value most? What's your true north? Your guiding star? You know, maybe it's love, or clarity, or wisdom, or compassion, or service, justice, whatever. Looking, please, into yourself. Not thinking about it, but just noticing what bubbles up when you ask the question, what do I value most? And you know, maybe it takes a few moments, maybe it doesn't. What resonates within Not to get complicated. You know, maybe it's like being the best parent, the best partner you can be. Maybe you can boil it down to one word, love. Hmm? What's true for you? Now, if you have identified multiple truths, maybe there are two or three things, I'm going to invite you right at this moment to choose one and I'm going to ask a second question for us to contemplate. And the second question, again, as a contemplation, do you consciously try to embody your deepest truth, your deepest value into your daily life? Do you consciously try to embody it in your daily life? Inquiring. You know, for some of us, maybe it's a new question. Maybe it isn't something that we think about that much. And for others of us, it's something indeed we may think about a lot. But sometimes it can be so deep and so important that we kind of take it for granted, like, of course, I'm sure. It's too important. Of course I embody it in my life. Thinking about it. Do you bring it into your life daily, consciously? Do you try to live it? Please notice, this is a really different perspective from telling the truth when we simply speak the truth, which is hard enough and important enough, in response to a question or a situation. This is going down onto a different level. So I'll make a few comments and then go on in a moment to another contemplation. When we consciously bring our deepest truth into our life, we are in alignment with it. We are aligning ourselves with truth. We are aligning ourselves with our true self, we might say. 
It's about your deepest truth, by the way. This is not about, not to be discouraged, like maybe it doesn't sound important enough. If it's your deepest truth, that's it. This is what our practice is. It's about you. So your deepest truth, bringing it into your life, means you are aligning yourself with truth. If we don't consciously bring it into our life, if we find places, maybe important places, where we kind of just overlook it and just kind of go right straight on, there's a gap. We're out of sync with ourselves, out of alignment. Our external and internal lives don't align. So this is what ethical living is, this aligning ourselves with our deepest truth. This is ethical living on the deepest, in a deeper sense, right? Beyond the daily telling of truth, which is important and we want to do. This going down deep and knowing for yourself what your deepest truth is. Now a third contemplation, and again, just for a moment, if you would close your eyes so that you can go within. And the question is, if you find that you don't consciously bring it into your life, or don't do it often, or don't do it daily, why not? The question is, to ask yourself, please, why don't I? What's standing in the way of me bringing, thinking about consciously doing it, bringing the truth into my life? And as I said, maybe you haven't thought about it before. What assumptions, what beliefs hold you back? Maybe fears. Are you living in one way externally no doubt in a perfectly moral way, but is there some gap between what you're doing externally and what you value most internally? Thank you. So if opening your eyes, I'd like to make a few comments on whatever I hope that you may have come up with and say that when we avoid telling the truth, in a way there's some really good news. And the good news is, if you're in touch with your body, your body is going to tell you. Your body will tell you. There is an uneasiness, kind of an energy drain that you will experience. Even maybe going so far as being kind of slightly nauseated. Yeah, some of you know that. Maybe a lot of you know that. Yes, we feel that when we're not really expressing our truth. Mm. So that's actually good news that the body tells you. Why? Because it can short-circuit a whole lot of thought. It can call your attention like a flag waving, say, hey, look here, notice this. Mm. It calls your attention to it. And it gives you the opportunity right there and then to change to come back, to align, to align with truth. So this is about going there, dropping in to whatever truth 
bubbled up for you. And maybe you know, maybe you didn't find something really clear, but you have an intuition. That's great. Start with the intuition. What is it that really feels important? Dropping into that intuition or to that clear knowledge time and again, dropping into it daily, stopping when we feel, when you feel that you're out of alignment, wherever you may be. You know, it may only take a moment to realign. Maybe it'll take a few moments. Maybe it'll take longer. But can we, but committing, the invitation is committing ourselves to really aligning to your, with your deepest truth. And that is on a daily basis. It's not just at some retreat or gathering like this, but daily, noticing when you're out of alignment and committing to getting back in alignment. It's a high bar, isn't it? And yet this is what our practice is. This is ethical living. Hmm? It's ethical living, touching into your truth. And I hope it makes sense. Uh, does it make sense? Good, I see a few people nodding yes anyway, so I'm going to take maybe it does. So again, I'm suggesting doing it many times a day, checking in, noticing when whoop, it just doesn't feel right. And I would say, of course, we all know we live in a society where we put a great emphasis socially, culturally, on spin, do we not? Spin is just about everywhere. You know, it is, businesses do it, certainly politicians, our nation's politicians do it big time. Don't we do it? You know, how often noticing, you know, spin doesn't have to be this great, big, blatant, horrible ill will. It's quite, can be very subtle. When is it? And of course, right now, our focus, we're not blaming out there. We, this is way more than where we're going. This is about what do you do? What do we do as practitioners? It's about your practice, my practice. When you put spin on something, when you just kind of slightly shade the truth because you want to look in a certain way, I think we do that. It's easy, so easy to do that. Maybe, you know, trying to make yourself look good, to impress. <laughs> Sometimes in business, or in, in work, we need to do that. We're called upon to do that. We do it. But when is it we do it at other times? Right? I'm not saying we, you, when you're obliged. If you are a healthcare professional, you're obliged. You don't want to tell somebody who's facing a really... Um, Difficult recovery period, like, boy, this is going to be terrible. You're going to have a really hard time. It's going to go on for weeks. You're going to wish you weren't around. You don't want to say any of that. You need to put it into a really, in a positive way. But that's quite different from in a conversation, personally, with others, where you want to, hmm, you know, really kind of look, make me look a little better than it actually is for yourself. So... Hmm, what are we protecting when we want to do that? When we do do that? Our ego, right? So the invitation is for us to get more subtle and really honor 
what we notice and try. Again, not about perfection. Nobody's perfect. But really try to be sensitive to these times when you put spin on something, when you habitually gay, engage in kind of a conversation that for self-gain, for self-gain. So all of this needs to be done with a great deal of self-compassion because it's, a, as I said, a high bar. And that means when we kind of let loose of that bar or don't quite make it up there, we're compassionate to ourselves. Of course, our whole practice is about self-compassion. And I think we also know that in relationships, it can be, we're often called, often, often called, for the sake of the relationship, for the sake of the other person's feeling, to maybe not say maybe exactly what you're feeling. You need sometimes to put spin doing it. I think that the, we're called to notice when we do it habitually, when after doing it, when is it that you've got that feeling like, uh, too much? Nobody knows that except you and your body. Your body's going to tell you, mm, too much. So sometimes it's necessary. This is so complex and so difficult. And so difficult. So there is no need for harshness here. There's another point, And that is that sometimes our deepest truths, sometimes our deepest truths change. As we mature in our practice, we see more deeply. I'll give you an example. Uh, maybe you are focused in your life, and I don't know, but maybe you're focused in your life on, a, on attaining in your career, in your job, uh, acquiring and really having your, being excellent at what you do. And then maybe at some point you shift and you recognize, you know, your priority really needs to be on your relationships with your partner, your children, you've got, that's got to be paramount. No blame, that's not a lie, that you shift. This is natural, our deepest truths can shift. We simply go, again, this is, an, everything is impermanent. We simply notice what's true now and try to live in accordance with that truth as deeply as we can, as deeply as we can, honoring it and being compassionate to ourselves. So I also invite us all, all of us, to continue to ask, so what is my deepest truth? What is it now? May have been something else last year, but right now, what is it? Ha has it changed? Maybe, maybe not. An ongoing inquiry, and I think this is the wonder of our practice. Our practice is that we can always change and reset a new direction, a new direction. Curiosity, as we ask, is really important. Staying curious about what's true for you, as opposed to saying, well, I know what's true for me. You know, I just looked into it two months ago. Staying curious, being really honest about it. There's a wonderful quote by Tejania. He's a Burmese uh, teacher. And he said, in Vipassana, or insight meditation, right from the start, you are not there to find peace. You are curious. 
And I thought, now this is a great quote, because I think an awful lot of us can say, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm here to find peace, you know. Uh, curiosity is not on the top of my agenda. This is for peace. It's about becoming a better me and about improving. Well, what he's saying, he's not saying that peace won't be a result, but he is saying a quality you need to bring to this is curiosity. And I say that for me, I, instead of using the term curiosity, and I think it's a good one, but I think lover of truth. For me, that's what resonates. Being a lover of truth, looking at whatever it is and knowing that whatever it is, I want to know the truth of it, even though there may be consequences. For me, that resonates. Curiosity is good, it's kind of neutral, and maybe that appeals, you know? But for me, oh yeah, being a lover of truth really isn't, I find it inspiring. And that's the quality I personally would like to really cultivate and hold. And you could say putting out a welcome mat for truth. A welcome mat for truth. A tall order. A really tall order. It takes a lot of courage. Loving truth takes a lot of courage. Because the fact is that you're not gonna, we don't like the truth often of what we find. And also, there can be consequences to telling the truth that we definitely don't like, right? I, we can be really deeply invested, perhaps in some non-truth. To telling the truth, to tell the truth can be a real jolt. There can be consequences, and we don't have to go too far to think of what might be if you're lying to a partner or if... Well, that's funny, just right now something came to my mind. I know of someone indirectly many, many years ago who was homeschooling a child, and they did not tell the child that Santa Claus wasn't true, wasn't real. And that child grew to be a young teen, and they still didn't know. Can you imagine the consequence of that? I mean, you can just, it doesn't take much to imagine. Now, we don't perhaps have such a disastrous untruth potential consequence in our life, but untruths have consequences. I was really moved recently, and I thought about that in this context. I uh, heard online a clip from a t uh, TV talk show in which a man from North Carolina, they were t the talk was about racial justice. A man from North Carolina called in, and he spoke to the anchor woman, who was a black woman, from a group called Demos, meaning people. And he said that he was from North Carolina, and he'd always been taught that black people were inferior. And he went on in that vein about what he'd always been taught. And I wa you watched her. She closed her eyes as she listened, and it didn't take much to know what she might be feeling as he spoke. But then he said something surprising. He said, that's what I've been taught, he said, but I want to change. I want to be an American. 
And then he said, what can I do to change? And they, and they had a conversation and she began to tell him how he could change. But the fact that he said he wanted to change, and for me, when he said he wanted to be an American, it just flattened me. Wow, there's still something in that. Being an American. But my point here is not only to talk about being an American, but to talk about the consequences, the courage of this man, number one. This is tremendous courage. He'd been taught since he was a child one thing, and he wanted to look outside and see a deeper, find a deeper understanding. So just bowing to his courage, which is amazing, and then recognizing he's going to, if he pursues it and does it, he's going to face huge consequences, won't he? From family, if they don't understand, from friends, if they don't understand. If he's still living in North Carolina, maybe he's not. Maybe he's living in a new community altogether where racial justice is accepted. But chances are, at some point, he's going to face consequences for trying to strike out in this new way. And we all do. That's what we do. We face consequences when we tell, when we search for the deeper truth. And we just have to know it's part of it. We have to be prepared for the consequences. Hmm? Being prepared to take the consequences of seeking and telling truth, truth telling at this deep level. I thought about the Buddha's Noble truths. The first, second, and third. The first is there's suffering in life. The second and third about, are about what the cause of that suffering is, which is holding on, and how to alleviate that, which is letting go to whatever the situation is that is causing the suffering. That holding on and letting go, telling the truth, mm-hmm. it applies right here. When we begin to see, as this man in North Carolina did, that, wait a minute, he'd been holding on to something that didn't any more fit for him. There was something he had to let go. He had to search for new answers to telling the truth, a, di- a deeper truth. So I am talking about and have been talking about truth-telling in the context of our practice, our insight practice. But I think we can step back and see it in another setting, context altogether. And that is the context of traditional um, folk tales. Talking about the hero and heroine. In traditional folk tales, the hero and heroine traditionally are individuals who move out of their home, they leave home, and they go out into the world in some way to journey on a quest. And they meet obstacles. They face those obstacles and they prevail in one way or another. Like Ulysses, not a folk tale, but maybe classical tale. Cinderella, Snow White, you can think of many of them, facing obstacles outside of their context, and they prevail. That's what I think this man from North Carolina was doing. You see, I think there's a direct correlation that facing obstacles in the traditional folk tales, it's the external story, is it not? It's an external 
well, I mean, external correlative is a big word, but an external uh, equivalent analog to what we are doing internally. Internally, we are leaving our comfort zone. We're leaving home. An untruth that may, we may have lived with for quite a while as being okay. If we've held it in one way or another, it's, it's called us. It's gripped us. We decide we're going to leave home. And we're going to face the consequences. And we dedicate ourselves to doing our best to succeeding, to carrying that, bearing those consequences and continuing to face the truth. So I think in that way, the man from North Carolina is a hero. And we are all heroes and heroines when we tell the truth. And there will be consequences. Those consequences, we hope, are fairly short-term. I mean, they're going to come at, come at the individual and maybe come pretty severely. But in the long term, there is a long term of telling the truth. Long-term consequences. If we've committed to awakening, making a conscious effort to bring truth into our daily life, our truth. That is our path to awakening. If we're not consciously bringing our truth into our daily lives, we are putting impediments to our awakening, right? It cannot happen unless we truly tell the truth. If we wish to progress on this path of awakening, then truth in this deep way is necessary. And so, in conclusion, I thought of a poem by the poet Rumi. And Rumi said, and I think it sums it all up, he said, sometimes you hear a voice through the door calling you. Like a fish out of water, hears the waves. Come back, come back. This turning toward what you truly love saves you. Sometimes you hear a voice through the door calling you. Like a fish out of water hears the waves calling, come back, come back. This turning toward what you truly love saves you. Truth. On that profound level, it saves us. Make sense? Yeah. So, thank you.